Hello and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm your host, Charles Hecker, bringing you clear insight every two weeks in an age of increasingly dynamic risk and intensifying connectivity. This week, we'll be discussing the security dynamics in and around one of Mexico's oil and gas hubs, the Bay of Campeche. Since taking office in 2018, President Andres Manuel López Obrador, widely known as AMLO, has sought to revitalize economic activities in his home state of Tabasco and neighboring Campeche, which have suffered from a decade-long slump in activities from state-owned oil company Pemex. AMLO's administration has sought to increase exploration and extraction activities onshore and offshore in the Bay of Campeche, where a high share of Mexico's shallow water oil reserves lie. Exploration activities by private companies in blocks awarded during the former administration of President Enrique Peña Nieto have also increased. The security environment, however, presents significant challenges for companies operating in this part of the country. We'll be looking at some of those challenges in this discussion. Joining me today is James Sinclair. James is a partner in our Mexico City office and leads the Crisis and Security Consulting Division in Mexico and Central America. James, welcome. Hi, Chuck. Good to be here. Cormac McGarry is a maritime security specialist based in London. Cormac, welcome. Thank you very much, Chuck. Adriana Thomas is a security analyst based in Mexico City. Hello, Adriana. Hi, Chuck. And finally, Eduardo Arcos is a special risks analyst based in London. Eduardo, hello. Hello, Chuck. Nice to be here. Thank you to everyone for joining. Let's just jump straight in. Will somebody please give us a brief intro on the Bay of Campeche, a little bit about primary economic activity in the area, investment developments, and your overall view of where and what this region is and why it's important? Sure, I can start with that. The Bay of Campeche is part of the wider Gulf of Mexico region and covers areas in the Tabasco, Veracruz, and Campeche states. One of Campeche's main cities, Ciudad del Carmen, has long been recognized as the oil and gas industry hub of this region. Much of the economic activity that we see here has to do with oil and gas operations. Offshore wells in the Bay of Campeche produce over half of Mexico's oil and a considerable share of its natural gas. That said, state-owned Pemex has been in a complicated financial situation for the past few years. Just in 2019, the company reported losses over $23 billion, and obviously this has severely affected economic activity in the, the Bay of Campeche due to its heavy dependency on this sector. But as you rightfully mentioned, Chuck, President AMLO has prioritized the efforts aimed at improving Pemex finances and the economic recovery of this area of the country, which includes the construction of the multi-billion dollar Dos Bocas refinery in Tabasco State. This project has brought renewed interest into the Bay of Campeche, especially in regards to investment opportunities and the economic recovery of one of Mexico's most important industrial hubs. However, one thing that we do like to say to our clients and to investors looking into the Bay of Campeche is that the security situation in this area can be quite challenging from an operational perspective. Adriana, you mentioned some of the security challenges that are specific to the region. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, like I mentioned before, the security environment in this area, it's quite challenging. And this has to do with the fact that states along the Gulf Coast of Mexico, such as Tabasco 
and Veracruz have long been recognized for their complicated security environments due to the widespread presence of organized criminal groups, many of whom are based in this area and engage in a variety of crimes that include fuel theft, extortion, and drug trafficking. However, the state of Campeche has surprisingly not been affected by violence and insecurity as its neighbors and retains a more favorable security environment. Just to give you an example, Campeche's murder count is among the lowest in the country with only 73 registered cases last year, while in Tabasco this figure goes up to 500. This means that the security challenges faced by companies operating in this region varies greatly. For example, in Ciudad del Carmen, the main security threat for business personnel has to do with petty and opportunistic crime. And over the past few years, we have noted a trend of oil and gas workers commonly being targeted for, for common crimes due to the heavy presence of workers in the sector moving in the city. And while street crime is also prevalent in Tabasco, organized crime incidents such as shootouts or targeted hits occur more frequently here. And this has to do with the fact that there is a lot of organized criminal presence in the state. Elaborating on what Adriana just mentioned, of course, the landmark infrastructure project for the area is the construction of, of a refinery in the port of Dos Bocas and all the investments that these will incorporate and bring to the area to it. On this, of course, with the expected uptick in economic activity as well, we have seen also that there are many crime dynamics that are going to be affected by this uptick in activities. So, for example, one, one type of crime that we have been registering consistently in the state of Tabasco is, is extortion, which is prevalent throughout the state in the capital of Villahermosa and also in the municipalities of Paraíso, where Dos Bocas is located. And extortion rackets and, and extortion in general is one of the most common crimes in, in Tabasco state. And with the optic in economic activity, we assess that the, that the extortion environment in this area will actually intensify as the criminal groups that are already operating there and that have an entrenched presence in this state will seek to benefit and to profit from the uptake in economic activity. And since they have the capacity to target pretty much every company across various sectors, then we, we expect to see an uptake in extortion activities in, in this area, covering, for example, companies in the logistics sector, in the, in the oil sector, in the construction sector, given, of course, all the different sectors that are going to be involved in developing all these major projects in the region, which are mainly related, of course, to the oil and gas industry, but also incorporate other infrastructure, the construction of roads, for example, the construction of a tourist-based train going through the region as well. So overall, the region is going to be reshaped, or that's what the federal administration intends. And of course, this will have repercussions on the security environment. I think it's also worth mentioning that the state of Tabasco has long been one of Mexico's kidnapping hotspots. Over the past three years, we have recorded almost 5% of all kidnapping cases nationwide in Tabasco, despite the fact that the state has less than 2% of the population. So this gives you an idea of the prevalence of this type of crime in the state. 
Likewise, the kidnapping environment in Tabasco is very complex as there are various perpetrators operating in there with varying degrees of capacity. So you have, of course, major organized criminal groups that have an entrenched presence. And at the same time, you also have smaller criminal groups and kidnapping rings that operate throughout the state, particularly in the Villahermosa metropolitan area, but also in other regions of the state. So as a whole, it is a very complex environment for kidnapping. The incidence of this type of crime is also likely to intensify with more economic activity, more transit, and just more people coming in and out of the estate for various reasons. Of course, this would provide them with more opportunities to target their victims. On the Capecho side of things, the security environment is more benign and the kidnapping, for example, dynamics mainly are concentrated in the Ciudad del Carmen metropolitan area, which is kind of the oil and gas hub for Campeche. This will likely remain the case that the situation in Campeche will be more benign. Although that said, it is not an area that is immune, for example, to either extortion or kidnapping. It is a very interesting region as a whole to be keeping an eye on from the security perspective. To bounce off one of Eduardo's points there, particularly the first one around extortion, One of the the dynamics that's most challenging in Tabasco, again, we're we're focusing a lot on Tabasco because a lot of the security problems are more acute than its its Campeche neighbor. But certainly the the social and community side of of operations is a very important one in the state, be that from small social groups that have certain injustices or certain claims to sort of more formalized unions and all that that term can cover, these tend to present quite a serious challenge for companies, particularly oil and gas, but certainly some of the other ones. I mean, Edward mentioned the construction business, which is obviously on the up due, due to various large infrastructure projects. So we do see a lot of, be they legitimate claims, be they semi-legitimate or be they more towards this sort of outright, quote unquote, legal extortion from groups in the area heavily impact on on companies' operations, thinking and and, and general planning. So I thought I'd just bring that to the fore uh, as we talk about this. And the second point, as a sort of more broad, what is going on in the Bay of Campeche, I just want to highlight that it's very easy to focus on the oil and gas offshore and, and even onshore operations, as well as obviously the refinery that's controversially going forward in Dos Bocas. The port itself of Dos Bocas is an interesting one as well, in that it's one of the headways and leaders in the growing midstream business in Mexico. Uh, storage and on sale to, to local distribution is an important economic factor within that Bay of Campeche area. Just wanted to mention those two in addition to what my colleagues already said. Over to you, Cormac, when you're talking about offshore reserves, you often have to segregate or at least pay attention to two different and sometimes completely distinct sets of risks. And those are onshore risks and offshore risks. You're leading the maritime effort at the company. Give us the view from the seaside. Sure. So... My team looks at maritime security from a global perspective. What we do sometimes is we look at specific areas or countries to try to identify the kinds of trends that typically predicate the development of offshore insecurity issues such as piracy and armed robbery. My team have been looking at Mexico for a little over three years now and our work on what's happening offshore in the Bay of Campeche is very much reliant on the kind of analysis that you've just heard from James Eduardo and Adriana. 
we started looking at these trends back in 2017 and we saw some of the typical underlying push factors that do lead to offshore insecurity. And we predicted that this would gradually grow and develop as the region's offshore infrastructure developed. And indeed, that's what's transpired over the last three years. It really came to a fore in mid-2017 when reports were leaked to the Mexican media that there was a previously hidden amount of robbery happening offshore. Now, the media reports varied widely as they do. In some cases, there was reports saying that there was up to 300 robberies offshore. So I deployed to Mexico to investigate the situation in the Bay of Campeche and working with all of our colleagues on this podcast to understand that local context and where it might be heading. And indeed, what happened over the last three years is that where these criminals initially were targeting unmanned platforms to steal equipment, they then kind of escalated that pattern towards targeting platforms that had personnel on board. And as well as stealing equipment, they would also take uh, valuables and personal belongings. And then particularly in the last six months, this has escalated to targeting perhaps a more complex target, which is supply and support vessels that support those platforms and targeting them while they're underway at night, which is quite a difficult thing to do. What's really important in this analysis, though, is that the underlying intent of these criminals is the same in that their target are the equipment and valuables that they steal. The problem that comes with that is their growing intent to physically threaten crew and interact with crew while they do that. How you as an operator, if you're working offshore, can mitigate against this threat is really in understanding where that threat comes from. And that's why the analysis of our Mexico colleagues here is so important, because that threat it emanates from trends onshore to do with the socioeconomic development of the industry as it interacts with people on the coastline. We do foresee that this offshore criminality trend will continue to gradually grow because there's nothing really there to stop it right now. The only thing that can really plug that gap in the long term is developments onshore that can hopefully and potentially solve those underlying issues. Adriana and Eduardo, I just want to come back to you for a moment. You've given us a a fairly detailed portrait of the situation on the ground now. Tell us a little bit about your view of the situation in the future. What should we anticipate in the region for the next six months, for the next 12 months? Take us a little bit forward from where we are now and paint a picture of, of the future for us, if you will. Actually, I would like to tie this with what Cormac was saying about offshore robberies and that they are tied to the criminal dynamics that we see onshore. One of the things that we have identified is that this ties with the activity of local gangs and especially with how the economic situation is developing, particularly in Ciudad Carmen in Campeche. And over the past, let's say, year or so, we have seen an increase of offshore robberies, in part because of the complicated economic situation of not only the state, but the whole country. So one of the things that we are monitoring right now is how cry dynamics will, will be affected and will be evolving in the context of an economic slowdown caused by, by COVID-19 this year. This might sound a little bit pessimistic, but we do think that things will not improve and that crimes, whether it's street crime or more sophisticated forms of robbery offshore or inshore will definitely increase. And I guess just just on that point as well, Adriana, is that some of those initial media reports back in 2017 said that there was potentially hundreds of these incidents. But 
after our investigation there last year, where we really looked at the local context, we found that in reality, there's somewhere around 20 to 25 of these incidents happening per year offshore. And as you said, we, we, we do expect that to gradually increase. But what's important, because one of the big questions I always get from, from our maritime clients is, is this going to escalate to something that we see in places like Nigeria or Somalia? And the simple answer is no, it's not. Because in Nigeria and Somalia, you had these historical trends of very high impact offshore kidnaps and hijacks, which we don't expect to happen in the Bay of Campeche offshore because it's very much related to an unrelated onshore trend that is that is not that kidnapping and extortion trend. Eduardo, what does the future look like for kidnapping and extortion? What does the environment look like for the next few months or next year or so? What we are expecting is that we will not be experiencing a, an improvement, at least over the next year. As Adriana mentioned, of course, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of put many plans on hold. And although over the reminder of President AMLO's administration, we do expect an uptick in, in economic activity for the various reasons that we have already mentioned, at least over the next few months or over the reminder of 2020, this will remain subdued or we will fail to pick up considerably. And as such, criminals already established in this area, well, seek to concentrate in a high turnover, for example, of cases of kidnap in the region to offset for the decline in other economic activities. It's also worth mentioning that as a trend that we are seeing not only in Tabasco and in Campeche, but pretty much elsewhere in, in Mexico, is that criminal groups that have diversified their activities, for example, now including human trafficking, fuel theft, kidnapping, and drug dealing, for example, as they see a decline in revenues related to drug dealing, given that the COVID pandemic has led to the closure of various entertainment establishments and that it has subdued demand, for example, for narcotics, they are now engaging more, for example, in other types of crimes to compensate for those losses. And kidnapping and extortion, we expect to be one of the crimes that we will see a gradual increase because of these, this change in the criminal environment overall. This is, as I mentioned, not a particularity of Tabasco and Campeche, more of a, of a nationwide trend or, or even like a continental kind of trend, as it can also be applied to other places in, in Latin America with similar presence of organized criminal uh, groups. The picture is unfortunately not a very optimistic one. On, on kidnapping and, and extortion. And uh, I think that one other aspect that will be very interesting to keep track on is migration flows from Central America, because this region, of course, it is geographically located in a very strategic position for Central American migrants that seek to get to the United States through Mexico. And as such, the criminal groups that operate in, in Tabasco and in Campeche and even in, in neighboring states like Veracruz have engaged also in, in the kidnapping and human trafficking of, of Central American migrants. And in many regions of these uh, states, it has been a significant catalyzer of violence. So, so that will definitely be one thing to, to keep an eye on, as also, of course, Central American countries are going to be experiencing a bleak economic environment related to the COVID pandemic. So definitely various factors at play that will continue to, to compound the security environment. James, it always seems that in the energy sector, opportunity is big and the risks sometimes look even bigger. Tell us, James, a little bit about you know what are the tools that companies have to tilt this balance more in their favor? What are companies doing? What is best practice? How are we assisting clients to overcome some of the challenges that that Cormac has described, that Adriana has outlined, and that Eduardo has just described. 
so the first place we'd, we'd normally advise clients to start is, is very much at the assessment stage. And that's because obviously the profiles between companies are very different in terms of their risk exposure. A company working primarily with downstream assets, moving, you know, fuel trucks between gas stations, et cetera, it has a very different level of exposure to someone who has a deep water platform that's coming into operation, perhaps at the later end of 2021. So what we very much advise clients to look at, first of all, before investing money in guards, in vehicles, offshore protection, et cetera, is very much around the assessment piece. That's normally where we have our entry point with clients as well, to cover that risk assessment, understand what their assets are, how they're going to interact with the threat context, and from that point, see what the measures are. From there, the door sort of opens into a lot of different areas that clients can take advantage of. And one of the first ones would be around the, the journey management aspect. That's typically where the majority of risk exposure tends to come. Opportunistic crimes, be that the, the kidnapping space that Eduardo was mentioning, or just the lower level violent crimes. So how do you move people around? How do you move equipment around? How do you track it? How do you protect it? What are the protocols in place? That's one piece that, that definitely should not be ignored. And in terms of how we assist with that, it can be from the protocol development, defining the profile to be used, defining the, the times of day that are most appropriate, defining deterrent measures such as traveling convoy, the, the monitoring systems themselves, incorporating our monitoring personnel into a monitoring center or, or a SCADA, as it's often known in the oil and gas business. The management of that through security managers, through a security resource, and if I take a slight segue into the offshore piece, that is going to be critical because one of the, the critical pieces to mitigation in a general sense is going to be coordination with the authorities for offshore. As Cormac briefly mentioned, one of the reasons that this trend has expanded, piracy, robbery, assault offshore, is that there's been very little mitigation or deterrent to stop it. And so one of the areas that companies need to look at is how they coordinate with the, the primary authority force in the area, which is obviously the Navy, before and in conjunction with putting their own security measures around detect, delay and deny, or, or even some kind of private security model, which under current situation doesn't exist because it's a relatively new trend. So the management side, training for sure, making sure that people understand where they can go, where they can't go onshore, offshore, reaction to incidents, again, onshore, offshore, so that people aren't resisting, provoking more violence, etc. And certainly going back to onshore, the more sort of tactical end of security drivers, executive protection is an obvious mitigation to some of the more opportunistic risks that there are out there. So those are some of the sort of the four axes, I'd say, the consultancy assessment piece, the liaison manage management piece, and then the training and sort of physical security systems, be that protection, be that guards. Those are some of the things that clients should look at and, and certainly we've been providing. So the challenge is not small, but the arsenal is reasonably robust. I'd say so. Obviously, depending on the exact risk you're looking at, that arsenal can look very robust or, or can appear very weak. One of the main trends that we see probably across the board when we talk about crimes is aspects of vulnerability and of opportunity. Even when there's been a plan obviously hatched by criminals to target a certain client or a certain company, it's normally based on vulnerability. 
which is the easiest target, which offers the biggest chance of success. So if we're dealing with the preventative side of security, that arsenal is certainly very great and we can certainly make ourselves a harder target. Once we've been targeted, particularly when we're talking about something like extortion, it does become very hard because of the lack of state control and response historically to these kinds of crimes, because of the power of the adversary i.e. The, the criminal, that's when it gets more tricky. And, and that's certainly when, when all sort of options have to be put on the table. But certainly there are options and certainly it's possible to operate employing these security measures. James, that's fantastic. Thank you very, very much for the input. Let me say thank you to all of our panelists today. Just to review, it's James Sinclair, a partner in our Mexico City office, dialing in from Mexico City. Thank you, James, for your comments today. Thanks, Jack. Pleasure. And on the line from London, Cormac, thank you very, very much for the waterborne analysis. Thank you, Chuck. Also from Mexico City, Adriana, thank you very, very much. It's nice to hear from you. Thank you, Chuck. It was nice. And Eduardo, as ever, thank you very much for jumping in on the line from London. Thanks very much, Chuck. Pleasure. That's all for this episode in English of The Global Insight. We're producing a Spanish language episode as well on the same topic with the same panel. Stay updated with new episodes of The Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as our five-part series on regional risks in conjunction with our 2020 risk map update. You can follow all our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. 